Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Can you believe it? White Wine Question Time is playing live in the West End of London at the Leicester Square Theatre. And we would love you to come and join us. Come and raise a glass on the 13th of November. We've got the cast of Dumb Breeding. Joining me on stage will be Julie Graham, Alison Newman, Tracy Ann Oberman, Tamsin Outhwaite, Angela Griffin and Denise Welsh. We'll be raising our glasses from four till six. Why not come and pop your court with us? Tickets are available now from Ticketmaster, Live Nation or wherever you get your tickets. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And I'm talking to my guest this week in person, a thrill in itself, but one made all the more enthralling when you realise that there's a reason he's currently promoting his third memoir, because his is a life that's been incredibly well lived. So where to begin? Well, as a human being... His activism and passion for civil rights, sex education and social justice has earned him over 40 humanitarian awards. As a professional, he's quite simply one of our most celebrated actors who first found fame for his stand-up with the critically acclaimed Victor and Barry, which he wrote and performed with his drama school friend Forbes Masso. But it was the theatre that gave him his biggest break and continues to cover him in glory, where he's won Tonys and Olivier's for everything from his Hamlet to his Master of Ceremonies in Cabaret on Broadway, which saw him set up home in New York, where he continues to live more than 20 years after first taking on the role, now with his husband, the illustrator Grant Schaefer. Then there are his books, his torch song soirees, his film work in movies like Circle of Friends, GoldenEye, X-Men, Emma, Eyes Wide Shut, 
and one of my most favourites, Spice World. Oh, and let us not forget his portrayal as the brilliant Ellie Gold in The Good Wife, which earned him three Emmy nominations. Then there's his podcast shelves, his New York club, Club Coming, and his infamous line of toiletries, which include products called Coming Clean, Coming All Over, and Second Coming. Who else could it be? Welcome to the show, Alan Cumming. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm really on the toilet, Tris. <laughs> Do you know, uh, the, my favourite one is um, the soap, coming in a bar. <laughs> That's actually the only one that still, I still have. The other ones are all, you know, it's, it was a while ago. <laughs> I have some of the, fra- I have the fragrance, Come, just called Coming. The fragrance. Just called Coming. And the second one was called The Second Coming. Yeah. The Second Coming? Yeah. I wanted to call it Coming Again, but... <laughs> People thought the second coming was better. Still coming. Still coming. <laughs> I mean, just, the joke goes on forever, I mean, right? After years and years of having a name like this, and I think I can, I'm sort of, you know, I'm taking ownership of it and I'm flinging, I'm squirting it back <laughs> at the public. Squirting uh, it yes. back. As always, you, you use words so eloquently. Uh, baggage, before, um, we're going to delve into a lot of what sits in the pages of Baggage because it, it's a beautifully written memoir and it's Thank funny you. and it's educating in as much as you realise that actually we all should stop, take stock of our lives, revisit them and sort of MOT ourselves slightly. Which yes, is I, what like you, I think MOT, the, yeah. I think you've MOT'd yourself yeah. really beautifully. Uh, owning all of the bad bits that, well, mo- many would consider bad, but and actually just going, actually, no, I'm going to really own those because they taught me a lot and they, edu- absolutely. they, they ended up shaping who you are. Yeah, that's, that's totally okay, yeah. I think we just, I think just denying things or thinking you're over something is is the first steps towards that way madness lies I tell you well let's just dive straight in with baggage cheers Cheers. and my first question for you is is very much around what you've learned because it spans a time period of 1994 to 2007 and you've said it's a story between two marriages yeah um and that in order to write it, you had to. You said I had to research myself and look at myself as a stranger. I did more research on Alan Cumming for the writing of this book than I've done for any character yeah. ever. I don't do much research and for characters. <laughs> I was going to say that honest. was one of my questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not really. But you said revisiting um, what's happened over those the forty years uh, that you're writing about has made you question your belief in your own press, and I thought that was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. So. What do you consider to be the key moments that feature in Baggis that, that took you from the person on the opening pages to the person on the closing pages? What were the, the momentous moments? Well, um, I mean, early on, it's, there's a lot that happens at the beginning. I, I have a nervous breakdown. I get divorced. I, before, you know, I remember all these, I have all these repressed memories of my father and, you know, being abused as a child, violent you confront abuse. confront your father with I your brother. I confront my father with my brother. And then I, you know, that's a lot. That all happens within like a year. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a big year, 1994. It was, it was huge. And, and I met, and I met another love of, you know, another love from my life who's uh, called Saffron. We started going out. So Saffron Burroughs, who you became engaged to, who was an mm. actress who'd appeared with you in Circle of Friends. Mm. Um, and yeah, you'd come out of this, this marriage, um, you were learning a lot about yourself. You were resetting your life whilst having extraordinary success in your career. Yeah. It's a lot. I d- a lot. I mean, I think I, it was, uh, I think that was part of it as well. You know, I was, uh, that was overwhelming and, and everyone's been very interested in my, you know, I think there comes a time in, well, there did for me anyway, when, when people or the, or the media anyway, the press are more as, or if not more interested in your 
private life, personal life than they are yeah. in your work. And when that go- starts, I mean, now it's I'm really used to it, but uh, well, like, you know, here I am. But uh, uh, but but then it was really a big change, and that was a time in my life when I was really in, in turmoil myself. Yeah. So it was it was imagine like the worst time in your life, and suddenly all the press are wanting to know about you. Yeah. It was really I I, I feel. I felt such sort of compassion for myself mm. writing this book, you know, because I just thought, you poor little thing, what a total mess you were. Well, you find yourself like in really strange scenarios where I, I could feel your anxiety, right? That you've you've got, you've you've left a marriage, you've you're, you've got no home to speak of. You don't even know how to begin to decorate a home, which no. seems foreign to you now because you're brilliant at it <laughs> and you love to curate and collect. Yeah, and. And that you're having this extraordinary success. And so you end up, you know, being being flown first class to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. you know, to do three lines of ADR yeah. and meet people because they think you're fabulous. Um, and so you've, there's a lot of that going on. And then there's the night that it all goes horribly wrong where you board a flight that can't land where it's supposed to. You and Ruby Wax. Yeah. I had, to, I had to do an emergency landing in Reykjavik. Yes. It sounds like a sitcom <laughs> or something, but it's, it was just, that was, my, that was the first time I ever went to America. And you and couldn't I, get there. I couldn't get there. And then, and then, it was just awful, and 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 I I remember just feeling so great and thinking this is it's all I've got it together. I know my mess, but look look at me. I'm going to Hollywood. I'm working. I'm working in Hollywood, and they're flying they're flying me to the. And in the next, and I'm on the. I'd never been in posh class before either. So I'm in, you know, having delicious food and wine and massages. Look, massages. <laughs> those days when you could get you a manicure on mm. on the plane. They won't let you do that now, because. I guess the, what are you, you're going to stab someone. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> with but, the nail file. With yeah. the nail file. Um, I used to think it was weird when they would give you a plastic knife, but a real fork. <laughs> I, said, I could just poke you in the eye with this fork. You know what I mean? Was, anyway, that's by the by. But um, and I, I was looking at the window, and all of a sudden, I saw like the ice flows, and I thought, "Oh gosh, how beautiful!" But flying rather low. And then they're like, "Oh, we're, we're doing an emergency landing in Reykjavik," and Ruby was on the plane because she was going to interview Tammy Faye Baker. The big lady, you know, the religious leader yeah. lady with the big eyelashes, and she uh, was in. It was from the BBC, so she was up in economy, and she was furious that I was in posh. And then <laughs> we, and then we, then we landed in um, Portland, Maine, because they couldn't fly to LA because the, the pilots had not, you know, they weren't allowed to fly for that long. Anyway, it was a nightmare. And then it was like I had that another crazy thing where I was just like, oh gosh, what's going to happen? I don't. I'm, but but you fought. landed and there was no mobile phone. You had no itinerary with you. You no. were just banking on the fact that you, as a celebrated artist, were going to be put on a plane at Heathrow. Yeah, I just turn thought, left, get off the other end. Somebody will take you to where you need to go, and it would all just happen. But but we, all, I think we just did that we in those did days. That, yeah. yeah, nobody, I don't, you know. You just so you're took, in Iceland with no way of contacting the people that not, are waiting I was nice, for yeah, you. Yeah, and then I was in Portland. I didn't even know where Portland was. <laughs> And uh, and then I and then I was just thinking, lying on my bed, trying to be all calm, like trying to be all zen about it. I think, you know, well, thinking, you know, inside my inner turmoil voice was like, "This is it. You thought everything was great. You were going to Hollywood. You couldn't even get there. You don't know where you are. You're in the wrong hotel." Because Ruby went to the posh hotel, and I went to the cheap hotel with the crew. And just, you know, even, you can't even do that. It's a mess. You got in the wrong bus. You're in the wrong country. In the wrong date, all this. Then all of a sudden the phone rang and it was Warner Brothers. And they were like, I was like, oh, yes, you know, the, the, the plane got to, we had to go to Iceland and the man got, he was sick. And, and then, and, and I'm coming tomorrow. And they went, don't get on the plane tomorrow. Look out the window. There's a car waiting outside. It was like a spy film. There's a car outside the window. And I was like, oh. and he said, get in it right now. In 50 minutes, you're leaving. So I got there in time. But, and so and that was actually... In a way, when I think about that little trip, it's sort of a really great m- sort of my life in microcosm, in a way, <laughs> that everything falls apart. 
But actually, it comes... Pulls together, actually. Pulls together, yeah. Pulls together, But in so many ways, when I was reading the book, I thought, gosh, this is almost like your first taste of Hollywood. Mm. And you really wanted it to go so well. And it could not have gone more wrong. I mean, a guy almost dies on the flight. It's forced to to emergency land. You've got no way of going. I mean, like... (laughs) Oh, awful. I could feel your shortness of breath. I took my card out. I had a rental car, because they gave you a rental car. I was like, gosh, I better use it. (laughs) And so I was only there a few days. So I took this card out and started driving. On the wrong side of the road, you know, I, I never driven in America before. <laughs> on the 101, which is this crazy motorway that goes through LA, couldn't find. I mean, it was, it was just at night. And no, was, no Google Maps then. You're trying nothing. to read a map, get to meetings no, on time. It was time. just awful. I was trying to find the centre. And you talk as well about the the kind of endless multi-storey car parks in Los Angeles where everything looks the same and you can't find your way back to your no. car because that also looks like every other car because everyone's a, in a, a rental. Black, a black Lexus, whatever it is. And I would just go around beeping my little thing trying to see if our car's light was, would go on. And I would just cry. I would sometimes cry. I in between to, meetings. In between meetings, just crying, trying to find my car. And then the other thing I still love when I go to meetings in LA, when you finish the meeting, the person at the desk goes, do you need validate, validation? And I go, of course I do. I'm an actor. I'm very insecure. <laughs> <laughs> and I, was, and I, I did this one thing once. And they obviously mean the parking. <laughs> you mean the parking validation. <laughs> I did this thing when I was with my, I have this reproduction company. We were having these meetings. There was a couple of us. And I did a series of videos where I'd get the person at the desk to say, do you need validation? And I would say, yes. And they go, you look really pretty today, Alan. <laughs> I, oh, your hair looks great. Or I love that outfit. And, and, they, and of course, they're all one, one of the actors, I suppose. So they did it. Of course they it's did. Such a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> so we find you at the beginning of the book in this kind of state of, well, I mean, highs and lows, really, isn't it? Terrible lows in your personal life, incredible highs in your mm-hmm. professional life. And then uh, this almost um, immediate new beginning with Saffron, where you're in a relationship. She then proposes to you. You realise very quickly. I mean, she's still a great love of your life to this day. Yeah, but, I love her. But yeah. that it was not meant to... That path was not quite the path for you two. Um, that seemed like a really seminal moment to you. Almost as seminal in, in, in terms of how you write it. It's your marriage coming to an end. Uh, understanding that relationships don't always work, but they're still something precious to yeah. retain. Yeah, well, I think, you know, when you get... I was so young when I got married, and I was so... I mean, I kind of left home to get away from my father. Mm-hmm. I kind of got into a marriage to kind of feel secure and to feel... And I was in love and everything as well, but I felt I was, I was seeking the familiar, I realise now. I've, been, I've done a lot of therapy, you may have realised. And uh, I feel that, you know, when you first... When you do have a, 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 a relationship very early... You and also, I really, you know, it's partly I wanted to prove my parents wrong. I wanted to prove my parents wrong that you, you could have a relationship that lasted. You know, they yeah. they they broke up, and it was devastating to me. Even though I longed that, that to is, break that's up. a real um, that's a real quandary you find yourself in because actually you hated your father. He was vile to your mother. Yeah, so awful. the fact that you wanted them to stay together just doesn't this, the maths well, don't stack, do no, they? It makes no sense. I was, I mean, I I, I wanted them to, to break up, but when they did break up. I was devastated. Mm. I was devastated. Partly because it, it made me confront loads of things that, you know, I, I'd sort of, them, their relationship, my father's violence, everything, mm. you know, just a whole lot of stuff that was sort of in denial and people weren't talking about. It. And all of a sudden when my mum actually said that, that she was leaving him, it made it all come out. So anyway, I think I, you know, I wanted my, I wanted my marriage to be a success, be, to sort of prove them wrong or to mm. prove that you could do it, you know? And which is a really bad reason to, I mean, it wasn't the main reason, but it was certainly one of the things. And when I fa- when that happened, when I failed in my marriage, I was really, I really devastated because it, it was really all that I thought 
it was the sort of the most adult, grown-up thing that I had done mm. independently, and I wanted to make it a success. I wanted to, I wanted to, I, I needed it to be sure and uh, for it to work. And, and it you didn't. were so very young, though. I mean, but I you, you spent your thirtieth birthday in a divorce lawyer's office. Yeah. So it was over by thirty. Yeah. Um, which, by today's standards, is still remarkably early on into your life, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I felt like an old crone, of course, at the time, but the goalposts change, don't they, as you get older with age. Yeah. Now, so like, 70. It's not so bad. It's quite still young. So it's kind of like you and your mum were almost having sort of parallel experiences of like stripping back your life and almost setting the reset button in so many ways. That's I mean, right. I noticed that the separation with your father came a little later for her. Yeah. But you do write in the book about this this brilliant, brilliant night at the GoldenEye premiere where you realise that your mum has found her way through to the next chapter in her life because you, you've taken her to this premiere yeah. and you're worried about her and, and you, you, you needn't worry because she can hold her own in a room and this is what you're coming to realise. And you turn around and you say, I see her huddled into a conversation with two old ladies. And yes. those old ladies were... <laughs> Judy Dench and Tina Turner. <laughs> <laughs> and what I remember was they had those, you know, those, Brilliant. you know, at parties, you know, at the buffet table where there's a plate and there's a little clip thing for your wine glass to go in. Yeah. They all had those. And I just, that's, that sticks, sticks in my mind somehow. They're all chatting, holding one like this. And, then, and like my mum still, actually, when I see Judy Dent, she always asks after my mum. And then once, <laughs> she, yeah, she made I, an impression. I know. And then um, one time I was in a, in a hotel in America, in LA, and, and I called my mum. And, I, and I, the, the, I, the concierge person said that Tina Turner was also staying in the hotel. So I said, oh, gosh, mum, Tina Turner's staying here as well. Isn't that funny? And she was like, say hello to her when you see her. I was like, well, I'm not going to see her. I'm not going to knock on her door. And, but anyway, it was, it, it was so cute. But she, I think it was interesting because she, my mum, uh, until then I felt enjoyed things like that in retrospect. Mm-hmm. Like she enjoyed it. At the time she was so stressed out. And, and it's an interesting thing about living in the moment. And she actually enjoyed telling people about them or showing them the photos and everything afterwards. And more, now she, more than the, more. the event itself, yeah. Yeah, she was always a bit stressed in the thing. And, and now, and I think that's, you know, partly a thing I feel about, uh, you know, it being in the moment and how you, must, you shouldn't let the past, if something happens in the past, it's done, it's finished. Don't let it. If it's a bad thing, obviously, don't let it continue to ruin your present and potentially your future. And I think mm. the thing with my mum as well, that she's so in the moment in those things and lo- loves just meeting people and everything now and stuff that I think she probably had some social anxiety about before. So it's amazing seeing her grow. Yeah, but I, I wondered, because you, you write about that with such affection and pride, but I wondered, did you not see that that was possibly happening to you too in, in its own way? Like the thing of being in the moment? Being in the moment, holding your own in any given room, learning to be comfortable mm. in, in scenarios that were alien to you. Yes. Well, I think, I, you know, that's a, a lot. Uh, I, I am, I, I, that is a gradual thing I was going towards. I, I actually felt it more, you know, when I went to America, to New York, not to America, but when I went to New York, that's when I sort of felt like, because I think one of the things that plays into this is being Scottish mm. and being Scottish in London and just how there's some, there's subliminal... And also sometimes not subliminal racism mm-hmm. about that, and I thought it's a bit, it's a class thing as well. But you know, assumptions are made about your intelligence, your education, your worth because of how you sound. Stereotypes are applied. Absolutely, yeah. and it's not just it's other um, people, not just Scottish people, of course. But it, I've definitely felt it, and I was, and it's interesting that when I 
first moved to London, I used to sort of have a little group of Scottish actors, other Scottish friends I would see. And like when I went to America, I didn't, do, I didn't have that. And I, I wondered why not. And I think it's because you need a sort of little support group when yeah. you first come down. And, and you're, it's quite a difficult city to... And that happens, you know, and there's that sort of... And when I went to New York, all the things that I'd been kind of reminded of uh, in, in London, of my Scottishness, my difference, how I sounded, as in a, a negative way, a slightly negative way, and it's not, you know, it was, as I say, it was subliminal and then maybe not, but it was definitely there. Um, and it, w- it kind of weighed you down. And obviously you, all my life I'd sort of felt that, like Scottishness mm. was a little less than. That was what you were kind of... Really? That's the point I w- was... Yeah. I, didn't, I don't feel that, but that's what the world told me. But it's interesting because in your so book... When I, went, you... when I went to New York, all those things where I was lauded and celebrated for it. And so I think that made me feel, oh... I am. I do have a place at the table. Yeah, and, and yeah, a place at the table is a really important um, point to make, actually, because suddenly you had a place at a lot of really impressive tables. Mm. And it's fly or die, right? You either cope in those moments yeah. and progress to the next stage, as you did, or you can see how some people can be woefully thrown off track because they're yes. quite big moments. Some of those tables that you're at, as you map those, those years of your career, I mean, were huge. Yeah. I, just, I, I think I just learned to trust myself. You know, and I think that's the, but it's definitely something about feeling that, oh, all the things that I used to think were a potential problem are actually positives. Mm. So you feel like, cool, all these years I was sort of, you know, skulking around. I didn't need to. And I think that's, that's, I, I was, I was too conscious of other people's opinions. But it goes back to that, that, that quote um, that I, I read at the top of this question, which was, Re- revisiting um, your those 40 years felt like questioning my belief in my own press. And you stop being defined by Scottish actor Alan Cummings, which is something that's still written to this day. We don't say English actor, no, blah, blah, blah. No. So you're right, the know, nuances, res- they, they, they persist, right? And also people don't say straight actor, blah, blah, blah. No, they of never course. never say that. No. Straight, that- straight English actor, Ray Fiennes. You know, nobody would say that. <laughs> no, they really don't. Um so it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, when you, when you look at all of that stuff that you had to shake off and reframe, really it felt like by the time you got to New York and you'd done all of that and the success was not flash in the pan, it was sustained and you knew you were good and the roles were building, you, you started to blossom and flower. You started to introduce colour into your life and decorate your own apartment, which sounds like a silly detail, but it was massive for you. Huge. Yeah, because I never... I say in the book, you know, it was the summer of 1995 or something, or 96, that I first discovered I love yellow. Mm. Because I had ne- I'd left, you know, I, and when I was a little boy, I was not even allowed to have any anything on the walls. Nothing. Or, you know, and no posters, no... No, nothing. nothing. And... Um, that your dad? Yeah, yeah. And so... And the fire, <laughs> the fire faucet, remember the fire faucet poster when she's wearing the red swimsuits oh, like this? Yeah. Kind of like oh, that, that pearly, pearly smile. And yeah. her hair all cascading. Like, it was like totally, you know, the masturbatory um, <laughs> fodder for our whole generation. Of, yeah. yeah. And, um, and it was in, and, you, and, and I can't remember which tablet, the sun or one, and you got sort of, you had to collect tokens. And I, and I, got, I got one. It was just the, the biggest thing you, you could get. And I wasn't allowed to put it up on the wall, of course. So I, I had it in a drawer. So I would open a drawer to look at the picture of Farrah Fawcett. It's quite sad. It is sad. That is sad. But also I think what it taught me is that actually, I mean, I think I've been thinking, obviously I talk a lot about my dad right now and 
well, you know, and I write about him, of course, you're going to. But I've realised some of the, a few positive things to do with sex, actually, he, he inadvertently taught me. And one of them was that sometimes it's better not to have the object of your desire available to you all the time. Sometimes it's actually more hot to just be able to get it. From the drawer. From the drawer, just have a peek in the drawer and not to have it on the wall all the time. And the other thing, the other thing he taught me was that I, I think I, I've never had shame about sex. Or You've se- not. How did he instill that in you? Do you think? Because I saw him being a big shagger, like he was a big. He was Philanderer. Very, he was very yeah, unfaithful to your mother. Big time, and he was very, you know, he was sexy. He was charismatic, and I saw him sort of struggle with his desire. In that. Well, not struggle, actually. He, 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 you know, I, I, it was very obvious to me and everyone that he was having all these affairs. He didn't hide it. He didn't hide it. He had no kind of empathy about how his behaviour affected other people. And so I saw but that... But equally no shame. He had no shame. But, he, but it was... Yes, exactly. And he, it was like he, he couldn't help it. It was something... This was... What that was, that desire, was something that could not be tamed. It wasn't something to tame. What I think, you know, what you have to do is is to make a life for yourself where you build it around your desire and you do have the life that you want to live and you are kind to people or you under, have understandings with people and you do what you ha- live a life that fits you. And he didn't have that. He had, m- was married with kids that he didn't, want, he didn't want to be there and he was, obviously he was mentally ill but, as well, but he didn't, he wasn't kind about it. He never talked to my mum about it. He never, they didn't have an understanding. He just did what he liked and left her to be humiliated. So in seeing that... I saw that there was nothing, he couldn't help the thing that was at the core of it. And I, so I, th- I never felt it was something to be ashamed of, to have that desire. And I, obviously I was aware that sometimes some people didn't like certain things about your desire. But, I was, you know, obviously I was, I kind of kept quiet sometimes about things. Mm-hmm. But I never, I wasn't ashamed myself yeah. of it. You didn't carry a sense of shame. No, and I think that's a great thing. I think there's so many people do. I think you're absolutely right. And the fact that you can find... Such a positive to come out of, of really hurtful behaviour. Yeah, is... I'm, that's, that's me. I'm a very, I'm, you know, I'm Mr. Positive. I, I really am. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, I, I mean, like one. You've uh, rolled it in glitter. I've, I have. <laughs> and, and sent it off. My, uh, so, How did he react, um, interestingly, when he realised that you were, when you came out as bisexual? I never had that conversation with no? him. By that, by that point, he was um, not really in my life. He did meet my husband, though. Did he? Yeah, at my granny's funeral, he was there. Right. And my husband was introduced to him. And uh, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's all, all that. I mean, by that point, I didn't care. I didn't, I mean, I never mm. really, you know, I, I, I was, I was, he wasn't really in my life. Yeah, at all. Um, what I wanted to know as a writer, yeah. as you're putting this book together, and you're revisiting these moments. And you're very careful to explain that some of this is just recalled. It might not you know, be verbatim what happened. Nobody can ever give you an account unless you've got you know, documentary evidence. Mm. Um, but I wondered, if were there any moments that you were writing that you were almost felt compelled to try to rewrite the ending, the outcome, that you wish you'd done differently? Because I know that's something I would really want to go, shit, yeah. why did I do it like that? Why did I not do blah? Well, I mean, I, 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 yes, but I think what I did was not really rewrite the ending, but interpret, you know, take bits of what happened and maybe not tell the complete story or the complete, you know, there was stuff 
there's stuff in I mean any memoir is 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 subjective right and and I I am telling you the things that that matter to me and have changed me and also what I think I want you to take away from this and But it's not glossy what you've written. You no, don't you don't kind of you but, don't roll it in glitter. No, no, I don't. But I haven't like, but I was just thinking there are a couple of things. There's also parts of my life that aren't there. You know, there are some mm. things I wasn't prepared to share. Allowed to oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, um and and I think and that in a way was liberating as well because I feel that certain negative parts of my life, things that were bad, toxic things. You know what? What do you have to? What do you have to say about a toxic relationship? It was toxic. It was toxic, and it taught me. And it taught me. And so you can say that. I thought I wanted to write very much about these things, and when I couldn't, and I realised I couldn't, I was angry because I thought, oh, on top of everything else, you know. But actually, it was just actually a very liberating thing to just to think, yeah, well, it doesn't mean that much. Mm. The only thing it means is that I'm not in it and I understand why. It was like a... I, 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 I repeated patterns, like we all do, and I tried to fix people. Yeah. Um, and, I, I, and, I, and I always used to think that angry people were somehow attracted to me, like because of my dad. I thought somehow it must be some pheromone I give off that that attracts angry people and that's why my dad hit me and that's why people I was involved with certain people and then I you know I realized that I'm I was attracted to angry people because they were familiar to me and I yeah. thought I needed to fix them I, I wanted to finally fix someone and that how did you figure that bit out <laughs> after too many relationships mm. where I was doing that and it wasn't I wasn't fixing them yeah your renovations were not <laughs> not going well <laughs> and eventually it just got I think it coincided with my, you know, one relationship too many and me being a little more self-knowledge and also just frankly it being, it being getting abusive again. Right. Uh, going into, I mean, yeah, definitely. And that was, I just thought, what are you doing? What are you doing in this? Yeah. You're in your 30s and you're, you know, it was, it was, and it was becoming public and stuff and it was just awful. I can't believe I allowed that to happen. I really can't. But you, maybe you needed to in order to be able did. to pull oh, your hand out of the fire. No, you're right. I absolutely did. Yeah. 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 So it was actually a great thing. But I, that, I don't write about that in the book. Right. That's so it's not so much about rewriting endings. It's about the endings that you didn't see belonged in, in that, that. Yes. Or and the I'm lawyers taking, didn't think. Yeah, no, the lawyers obviously <laughs> had quite a job uh, on this. It was actually, I can imagine, actually. Yeah. Because, because you go there. You know. I do. I'm not mean at no, all. Not but at all. I'm, not, it's not, I'm not interested in that, actually. I'm, I, everything that I talk about, it's only really... Either it's because I think, holy shit, this crazy thing happened to me. And I want to, I want to show people, this is crazy. I think it's crazy. Don't you? And, I'm, you know, this is not my norm. This, I, I, it is my life, but I don't consider this to be <laughs> okay or normal. <laughs> or, or else, you know, I, I, I want to say, I learned this from this terrible situation. Mm. And that's why I'm telling you about it. So uh, uh, it's, a, it's a delicate path, though. Uh, before we move off this question, I just wondered, as you're <clears throat> writing, yeah. obviously you, you, you're in a very happy marriage now with Grant, who you've been with for many, many years. What's it like when a partner dives into a book like this, do you think? How is it for Grant to read your account of, of, of life between one marriage um, and then your marriage to him? Well, I mean, I think he... I mean, this book, 
in a funny way, I stopped. I used like in my last book, uh, my last memoir, the first one. I read it all to him. I read it all, uh, and I sort of a sounding board, you know, to read it to him. And, and in this one, I I did that, and I stopped doing it. Something happened one day, and I was just like, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't think I want to. I don't want you to be my touchstone on this. Yeah. And so when he did read it, it was like a surprise. And some of the things he didn't know about, and um, and I think it's he's you know he, I mean. Imagine being married to me. It's quite a lot. And he puts up with quite a lot. And he's, uh, but he's, he's not, he doesn't have the same, he's not jealous in that way. He's not um, interested. I, I, you know, a lot of people I've been with were in the same sort of sphere, the same career as me. And, that, and so weird rivalry things happen and just sort mm-hmm. of strange screwed up stuff. But also that weird kind of dichotomy of understanding that you actually, well, Actually not. So you you date somebody like Grant, you marry somebody like Grant, he looks at our weird world for what it is going, by the way, that's all a bit weird. Yeah. Like you get some clarity and perspective. Yeah. When you're with people that are in the industry, it's I mean, like, you talk about LA being an industry town and yeah. it is where, it's a bit like Hershey where they make the chocolate bars. Yes. Everyone works for Hershey. Right? No one talks you about You chocolate. lose perspective. And I thought it would be really interesting to see what his gauge was on this book as somebody that's been privy to some of the pomp and ceremony of show business but wasn't there for all of it no and doesn't i would imagine buy it in the same way that somebody inside the system would not at all and also i love i love the fact that he reminds me of things that just like how you know when you're with someone who's famous when you're famous people look at you more they want to talk to you mm. they come they, they ignore people around you they're rude. They don't mean to be. It's just sort of. But the, it is rude. It yeah, is rude. It is. And it's and it's um. And he doesn't see it. I've been with people who saw it as a personal slight. Mm. Or they get angry. Or they get angry, and yeah. they get angry with you. Yeah. Like it's somehow your fault. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't see. He doesn't. He just thinks it's weird. And he and he and he notices. And not everyone does it, of course. Other people. Are, not everyone does it, but when it's done, it's it is a slight. It is a slight, yes. And you feel it; it burns I'm, for you I as the go, partner. And this is blah blah. Do you yeah, know what I mean? exactly. I go, oh, have you met blah blah, the person that's standing here? You know, and I think that's. Um, but but being with someone who sees it in a in a not a sort of threatening way to their mm. whole yeah. being is very helpful yeah, because you just uh, I don't know it grounds you in a way. I mean, I think we're very good for each other, and it's funny actually. I, in this book, I talk a lot about being having anxiety. And he's a very anxious person compared to me. Yeah, he, get, he gets like anxious about things. Uh, but in a way that my anxiety comes when I'm completely overwhelmed and yeah. I'm, I'm in a situation where I don't understand what's happening to me. And also it's much more in the past as well, something I got over, where his, he's just got general sort of, you know, locks all the doors and does one of those people. And I'm like one of the people who walks down the dark alleys. And uh, so we're, good, we're a good combo. For, I, I sort of pull him back from the brink and he sort of pulls me from jumping off the cliff. <laughs> It is quite funny, but like we don't, like I, I don't want to lock the doors and he wants to put the alarm on. I, we have a compromise. I like, you know, yeah. we don't put the alarm on, but he gets to lock the doors. It feels like a healthy balance. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. He's also and, mad. And he's, he's a good temperature <laughs> test as well. I would imagine that when the world is, when your world can get slightly, you know, beyond the realms of reality, as is the way with show business. Yeah. He's got the ability to step in and go, really? Right. Yes. And also he's got... You know, he's like a, he's an illustrator, so he's got a studio in our house, and he's just this little hermit in the studio yeah. with the dogs seeing his feet, and and he does this thing with all little bits of paper on the floor. We have, we have a rule that he can't, the paper can't come outside his door, 
but it can't impinge on on the rest of the house. Right, he's not but allowed to spill out. He's not allowed to spill it. So he's got this all the, like he instead of if he's got to remember something, he'll write a little, or draw something and put it on the floor. So it's, <laughs> I know it's so nuts. So uh, so he's in this funny little world, and so I I come in. Maybe he's not the right person for a temperature check. <laughs> uh, well, it's not. Yeah, yeah, maybe, but it's not really a temp. It's just he. I sort of see like. You know, and actually, I don't really like talking about about work. I'm, I, I go home, and he goes, "How do I go?" Fine, you know, yeah. unless something major happens. I think it's kind of boring. I agree. I think when yeah. you've spent your whole day consumed by it, yeah, it's, it's the last thing you want to talk it. about when you get home. I mean, let's I face it; both of us have been at a lot of road. I see. And also, I hate. I think actors uh, together are boring. <laughs> like, there's nothing that sets my gorge, whatever you call it makes me want to puke is it being in a room full of actors so it's third time lucky really i mean married to an actress engaged to an actress now married to an illustrator and it's yeah working. i also had i had some other ones as well i had a, had a, a domestic partnership and I had a something else what I, i've had a few more yeah you've had a few more I've had a, yes there's been a lot of lawyers <laughs> there's been a lot of lawyers yes. always a sign of a good memoir i find Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're really close friends with Monica Lewinsky. I am. She's been on your podcast. I love that episode. And it struck me as on paper, like being quite an unlikely friendship. And then as you work your way through baggage, um, you realise that your your life is littered with what some would consider unlikely friendships. And there's such value in meeting people that walk outside of your normal world, you know, that are not part of your regular tribe. And I just wondered if you could share with me, who some of your most unlikely friends are and what value they bring or have brought to your world? Um, well, I have a friend, a really dear friend in New York called Brooks. And she's um, an older lady and she was a travel agent for rock stars. Well, she is. And um, she... Great job. So good. And she says, she's like, 
she says things like she's got this, she used to smoke and she doesn't anymore, but she has this sort of smoky voice and she says things like, last night I had a martini the size of North America, things like that. <laughs> and, and she's just hilarious. And we met at, uh, we met at, the, at a, a, a film premiere and she was, she knew someone, I, we both knew people independently who were involved in the production of the film. And we just, and, 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 and it was a party afterwards where it was only desserts, you know, and we were starving. I was starving independently. She was starving. And I was being, um, what do you call it, uh, wooed by this agency, CAA at the time. Oh, big agency. Yeah. Talent agency, for yeah. those that don't know, yeah. And, they, and there's agents that said, oh, uh, where, are you? They said, oh, where are you going? And I said, I'm going across with some, I'm going to go across to get Chinese food at this thing. And they went, oh, oh no, they said to me, they, would I like to go to dinner with them at this Chinese restaurant across the street? And I said, oh, well, can, I'm with some friends. And they went, oh, you can bring them. I brought 10 people. <laughs> And so I was like, do you want to go have a free dinner? I was like that. going around. <laughs> So I go to the thing in the restaurant with these people. And then I went to, it was when you could smoke um, inside at the bar. Yeah. So I went to have a cigarette at the bar and Brooks was sitting there. And, and, with the, and she'd been all, she was all dolled up because she was at the, the premiere. And she had these really incredible shoes. And I, I, look, I didn't know her. And I, was, I went, wow, look at your fuck me shoes. And she just went, rah, 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 rah. I mean, literally been friends ever since. And she's really <laughs> hilarious. She calls me our wee Scottish darling. And she, one time she was up, up at our house in the Catskills and uh, she was staying in one of the cabins down the hill and we were getting really stoned on the deck because some, some couple of boys who were big stoners and I could see her hanging out with them. And I went, in, I went to get a drink from the fridge and she was there sort of staggering around. I went, are you all right, Brooks? And she went, on a scale of one to ten, getting me out of this house is a good idea. <laughs> So she's a really great... Uh, it sounds like you delight in her. I love you know, her. You love, I love her company. Her. She's just... She's, she says the most awful things. What about Miriam Margulies? You've just shot a show oh, with her. I just saw her right now before I came. Miriam, again, similar. I love <laughs> Miriam. She kind of reminds me of my granny in that she's sort of a free spirit and... and my granny wasn't as rude as Miriam, but but she... Yeah, I just... I've got, I did this travel show with her and, I mean, she's just... You know what she's like. She's like I think I said she's like a little girl showing her knickers. Do you know Always. that's what she's like. And she's even when we're she's so her, naughty. I, I say a very bad word. You can say a really bad so word. So we, we were shooting this thing, and you know every day it's you know she lifts up a cucumber. And goes, what do you think of that, Alan? I'm like I wouldn't fit, Miriam. All things like that. Non-stop carry-on humour. And uh, <laughs> and there was one bit where we were. She said we were driving. I was driving and I sort of went, oh, and she went, you're a bit near the edge. And I started to sing, I'm on the edge, the edge, the edge, the edge. She goes, who's that? I said, it's Lady Gaga. She goes, oh, I like Lady Gaga. And I was like, oh, do you really? I wouldn't have thought that. And she said something about Madonna. And I, and, uh, I said, oh, God. she says I'm mean about me. She goes, Madonna's over. That's what she said. And I was like, go, don't get on the wrong side of Madonna, Miriam. And, uh, and she went, you can't go through life being scared of Madonna, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, she, we, were in, we were in Fort William. We were in Fort William on a day off. And we are in this little guest house. And a wee, you know, they were to give a COVID test. And a wee little tech, medical tech boy came. And was like, oh, I'm, I'm very sorry. It's me and Miriam. And he's kind of freaking out. And he's like, I'm very sorry, Miss Margulies. I've got to stick this up your nose. She went, you're going to stick it up my cunt, darling, for all I care. And I was like, Miriam. I mean, just like that all the time. But I do love her. I, I love her. And then... Um, <laughs> I'm I'm I, I'm kind of friends with Patty Smith, and I really really like her, and we you know we've known each other a wee bit, and she just said the most she said the most incredible things to me sometimes. She, she to, I told her I was really worried about doing this thing because I thought I might fail at it, and I was really interested in why it is that people 
artists and, and people in general. Oh my God, I just realised we have this table in our in our house in New York. Yeah, yeah, this very table. Oh, nice. Didn't notice until now. Um, and uh, she said, because uh, I'm going to do this dance thing next year. I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm going to be 57, and I'm going to do a solo dance piece. What? I know it's crazy. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Brilliant. Yeah, but and uh, but also just a bit, you know. I'm, but I, why? Because I. I've always wanted to. Great, perfect reason to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I just didn't get it together before now. So you're discussing this with Patty Smith as you do. With Patty, and she <laughs> and I, and she was saying, as why do I said why do we do this? Why do we? Why do I challenge myself to do things to the point of potential failure? And you know, yeah. what's that about? What is that urge about? Yeah. And she said, but Alan, it won't be a failure if you do your best. Oh. And I'll say, oh, Patty Smith. She's like the best primary school teacher. She really ever. is. She is like that. <laughs> and she and she one time we were at a party, Aww. a U two thing, and, and and Grant and I arrived and she was there and she and it was a hot day, hot evening, and there was all these fans, or big actual fans, big whirly fans to keep us cool. And you know she's got that long crazy mm. hair, and she saw me and, and came towards me and like the, the, as she passed the fan, all her hair went up and end oh, like that, and she looked amazing. like this crazy sort of um, witch. So, yeah, and I think, who else? Um, Monica, yeah. Um, Tonka? Tonka is a chimp that, uh, I think I think Tonka died. Or I think so, the lady, but I th- but The lady I'm... said that she's, um, the lady who had Tonka, it was a chimp that I did a film with and I and was in this terrible situation. I tried to get him out of it and taken to this place in Florida where you could run free on these mm-hmm. islands where they socialised the chimps yeah. and put them. But anyway, they took them out, and there was eleven of them, and ten of them got out, and Tonka wasn't there. And, but Peter thinks she, the lady said he died, but they don't have any record of his death, and, then, and they think she's hide, hiding him. So it's still going on. But you had a very strong connection with Tonka the chimp. I did. Which you write like if, if I tried to explain it now, it would sound ridiculous. <laughs> but to read it is to believe it. And it's kind of weird, yeah. Yeah, it was I actually what, loved him. And I, I, I can see that I, when you read the book, you feel your love for this chimp. And I was and, really, I was really flattered that he thought I was a chimp. He thought I was a chimp and that's why he behaved the way he did to me and like tried to groom me and tried to do aggressive play with me. And that's why I wasn't allowed to see him the next year because he was six and he was... The so you shot the movie and had this kind of moment where he, he connected with you, this you connected friendship, with him. beautiful friendship, yeah. It really was, wasn't it? And then you go back to promote the film a year later and he's hit an age in a stage where he becomes sexually excited. Yeah, sexually aggressive. Aggressive, yeah. And they wouldn't let me see him because um, they thought he was going to like rape me, basically, yeah. or sexually assault well, me. Yeah, sexually assault you. Uh, you know, and, it's, and they're strong. But you and really they wanted want... To do it, they and wanted they kept to giving it. you, like, replacement chimps. And you were like, no, I, know. I was like, where's Tonka? Tonka? And they, when they wanted to do it on... Uh, they wanted to reunite me with him on, on a live TV thing. And then they were then they, they thought, oh, maybe not. What if he, what if he like, sexually assaults Alan on, on live morning television? Like, you know, like on This Morning. It'd be like Holly and Philip <laughs> and me getting banged by a chimp. Wouldn't go down well. It wouldn't. I think we might have to cut for a break on one of those moments. (laughs) (laughs) My third and final question. I'm going to present you now with a kind of menu of the opportunities that you have chosen to pursue. Because it, it maps you out as a man of great unpredictability who has evaded typecasting like no other. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know how you've got away with it. It's like you've got your own freaky algorithm that no agent could ever crack or diminish. <laughs> yeah. So, for example, these are the job jumps that you do. 
from an Olivier Award for Accidental Death of an Anarchist to Spice World. A Tony Award-winning turn on Broadway in Cabaret, followed by a teleporting mutant in X-Men movie X2. Then there's The Good Wife with Ellie Gold, an amazing American accent, by the way, uh, alongside Spy Kids 3D. And, and, I mean, it goes on. You've got Jay-Z video appearances juxtaposed with... I'm going to say book, you might call it an essay called May the Foreskin Be With You, Why Circumcision Makes No Sense and What You Can Do With It. Um, Like, none of that makes sense and yet you have gloriously got away with it. How'd you do it and what pushback has there been? I I think I've always been eclectic. Like, even at college and everything, I did lots of different, you know, I did a course that was, I'm really glad, it was kind of accidental, but I did a course that was not just acting, it was other stuff, you know, writing and directing and teaching and all sorts. And so I think I've always done that. And I've genuinely been interested in all those mm-hmm. other things. And so and then I think eclecticism breeds eclecticism. Yeah. And I do very much, uh, when I've done something, like some of those things you talked about, I actually was thinking, well, like I finished Cabaret and I immediately went to do the Flintstones film. Yeah. So that was like, and it was partly I wanted to do something fun. I wanted to do something that was not going to be a big despairing which was a big movie, by the way. It's a blockbuster movie, oh, yeah. The Flintstones. But I was but playing an alien. I was playing a little yeah. great gazoo and everything like that. I mean, ridiculous. Such fun, though. And I just want some, I want to do something different each time. Yeah. And so, and, and, and it's interesting because I, I, I don't, um, like my, I've had, you know, my agents and things, are sometimes they sometimes despair like next year yeah, but they, they do like, i really ne- bet they do alan and they go oh shit yeah may well, the foreskin be with you what the hell am i supposed to do to get around that one you yeah, know yeah but they but like next year i'm like four months i'm not available because i'm doing a solo dance piece <laughs> you know age 57 they're and they're just like all right uh-huh. and um trying to fit all the things you know the other sort of filming obligations in around it and i just think i actually I don't want people around me who who want to, you know, change me, mm-hmm. and I think that's in relationships as well. Like I think that's that's with Grant. Grant doesn't want to change me, and he there's this really beautiful thing he once said that I was I was um, in Edinburgh. I was doing my club coming parties. Uh, I was you know I DJ and had my bands on stage and you do all of it and, and then you you do like kind of torch song nights and soirees yeah, you do all sorts yeah. with your live work yeah, yeah. And, I, and 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 I was and it's a dance party as well so I was I was crowd surfing <laughs> in a monkey outfit and there was pictures of it on and you know on social media I put them up I suppose but other people did too because it was a lot people took a lot of photographs and he was back in New York and my friend Eddie said to him aren't you worried Grant Allen is obviously drunk and crowd surfing. <laughs> Uh, in you know in, in this club in Edinburgh, and he said I'm te- you know he said I'm anxious I'm an anxious person Eddie of course I'm terrified but Alan is a butterfly and we have to let him fly, <sighs> and that was I thought that's amazing that he and like sometimes when we you know get into a thing I go I'm a butterfly remember and he goes yes sorry yes got to always keep pushing it back yeah, yeah. It, it, sometimes it comes in handy but it's such a great thing that he he doesn't like all the things I do but he no he doesn't want to change me yeah, yeah. and that, that's so I think. You know, there's that. I've never seen it, but I think it's a great title of a musical. I love you. You're perfect. Now change. Yeah. And I, I've had that has been the case for me with many yeah. people. And I, I just think that's in, that's how I do my career as well. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't but, care. I don't want. And I've once, you know, in the book, I talk about stopping going on the trajectory that I was on of being in like blockbusters and yeah. becoming one of those sort of movie stars. 
or whatever, that kind of actor, being in those films. And it's sort of a thing, you get quite famous, you do this film, you do, then you get the big block, but you know, and yeah. I don't want to do those films. I really don't. And so... What is it that, that, that leaves you with very little appetite for them? It's like the corporate nature of them and the sort of formula of them. And, it, 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 and you're just this cog in a massive machine that doesn't really care about you doesn't care about the, and you know, specifically in the book, I talk about the X-Men, X-Men film, where we were really in a very bad working situation. It was dangerous, it was abusive, you know, and, and the studio didn't care. We, we all, all the actors said something and they still they just went, oh, never mind. Did they really? Yeah, there's, oh, it's only going to be a few more weeks, don't worry. And it's going to make a lot of money. They actually said that, and also, you're under contract, you know. It was like that, and I just thought, ew. I want to be, I don't want to feel dirty mm. about going to work. And I did. I would cry. <laughs> it's so tragic. But I would be in that awful blue makeup. And then I would go <laughs> home, get all up, go home, eat. I just put on loads of weight during that because I would just eat. I was exhausted. Eat. Look, the, the, my boyfriend at the time would make all these crazy big meals. I would go home, eat a ton, have a couple of glasses of wine, burst into tears and go to sleep. And go back and be a miserable and avatar a miserable, the next day. Miserable blue mutant. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I think it's, I don't want to. You know, it's constant. You have to be vigilant. You have to keep thinking, oh, you know. Maybe. But not a lot of agents will like that because actually the trajectory of blockbuster movies and 15, 20% of that is far more appealing than I can't do four months next year because I'm doing a one-man dance piece. Yeah, for two pence and a <laughs> yeah. bag of nuts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But then, you know, I also... You don't I do, make for a compelling business case. <laughs> no, I've got... My business plan is flawed. But I do, I do make them a lot of money. You know what I mean? I earn a lot of money. I do... And I do things that, you know, I do concerts and stuff like that, yeah. uh, that I like because they're sort of short. And, and, and I'm very lucky I get asked to do things that, you know, I got paid a fortune to sing three songs at an uh, opening of a watch boutique yes. during Fashion Week. It was so good. Was it good? Did you yeah. love it? Did you love the ridiculousness of it all as well? And we got in, they took us, me and my um, musical director, <laughs> Henry, and my cellist, Eleanor, they took us to the shop. We had to go to the shop. It was all certain things you got to do. I had to go to the shop in our Rolls Royce. And, and then be at the rock, yeah, no, <laughs> and be at actually it smelled of petrol because it was an old one. And they all stank because they've not got those. You know what I mean? It's like when you go to Cuba and all the cars just smell really petrolly because they've not got the catalytic converters or whatever. And and then we had to like have drinks at this party. Then we had to go back and then I had to like do X number of posts on Instagram. And then I had to sing these three songs. I had to have dinner next to the man who was the head of the watch company. I had to wear the watch. I had to sing three songs, and. I think that was all I had to do. But it was nuts, you know. The whole thing was nuts. And so I'm, I, but that like, felt like fun compared to the miserable corporate nature of being on a big production like X-Men. Yeah, yeah, because that's months and months and months. Yeah. And I don't know, I like sort of... I like short things. I like things not to last too long. And yet when you do something and really commit to it, so how many seasons of The Good Wife did you do in the end? Seven. But that's a lot. It is. And you were... Brilliant, and you got three Emmy nominations. So whatever you do, you tend to do it really spectacularly well. <laughs> well, sometimes, thank you. But in my opinion, thank you, thank you very, thank you very much. I know I, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I don't lack commitment, but I just actually, I mean, the Good Wife is great because I, I was able to be at home. Yeah, New York. Yeah, I was able to be at home. I actually, you know, it was, it was kind of perfect because I didn't, I wasn't in it that much. I would, I was in it all the time, but I wasn't. Like it was Juliana's show and, and all the, I was in this sort of a separate stream of story. I was in the political bit. Yeah. So all the lawyer's office stuff, I was never in. So I, and sometimes the best thing was that there was an eight day a week, eight day an episode shoot, right? And some, and it was like, so it was like seven days and then the first day of the next episode was the eighth day. See what I mean? It was a swap yeah. over. 
And sometimes I could be in it a lot, but all the scenes would happen in my oh. office. So that'd be all shot in one day. Crazy. That was my favorite thing. So I would be able to go and do other things and, 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 you know, write and do other jobs even, and also just have a life. And then after that, after The Good Wife finished, I got my own show on CBS called Instinct. I did that yeah. for two seasons. Hated it, because I had to be in every day at like 5.30 and look cute. <laughs> I was like, ew. Yuck. Yeah, Don't it's much better that. being the, in the slipstream stories. Totally. In, and yeah. I realised also the best thing is to, I did that film, the Billie Jean King film, and I was in the last scene. Battle of the Sexes. I, yeah, and I, so I'm not in it very much, but I'm in the last scene. So everyone thinks I'm in it a lot because they remember what I said in the yeah. very last thing. That's the way to go. And also be in a film when you're not in it very much, but everyone talks about you. Yeah. So it seems like you're in it more than you are. Because, you know, for me, Ellie Gold was, was a seminal character of The Good Wife. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, I'm, I'm the woman that flipped straight into The Good Fight because I couldn't oh, bear to let it go. Right. I, love, I loved that show so much, The Good Wife. Um, but you, you feel like a massive presence and you're absolutely right. Maybe that's the way to go. It is. Come I'm in, for make it. a lot of noise, big jazz hands, off you go. Yeah, yeah, I, I really like it. And like, um, the next film I'm going to do is kind of like that. Also, try and get them to squash your dates as much as possible. <laughs> don't do run of, do run do of show. Do you feel you get to this age and stage in life where you're like, you know, yeah, you've just got a really healthy handle on it. All. It's like, totally. squeeze my dates, get me in, get me out. I have a great time when I'm there, totally committed. Oh, yeah. But this is not my life. My life is all of these other things yeah. as well. And also, you've got to say to people, that's why I think I'm a really unusual person, in that my agents have told me this, that I say, I'm willing to lose things. I'm willing, I, I, I know my worth and I know my, my self-worth and I know what I'm worth in the world as well. And well, sometimes you don't know, sometimes you, it's more than you think and sometimes it's less. But I, I, know, I know my standards and I, I say to them, no, nope, I'm doing it for this, that's the minimum. I call it my um, humiliation level. Like, I, I, here's the money <laughs> I, will, I will do, that, that I'm willing to do it for because if I do it if less than that, I will be humiliated and resentful coming to work and I don't want to do that it'll give you cancer so <laughs> I, I say that to him and I say and I'm willing to lose it yeah and it's amazing how when you have balls like that how people yeah. actually they can tell and they're like they, they you know it gives it gives your agents much more freedom and well, it also mean, gives you a clarity it gives you a clarity because you go well this, this is it I'll do it for that or not mm -hmm. but it also increases your stock value I find yeah. if you say no because they yeah. want you more. It's bizarre. It's human, it's human behavior, right? The film I'm going to do next, after the, I'm going to do two films in a row, it's um, this film with Neil Jordan. And he's, so, he's asked me to work with him so many times. I've never been able to. I've always wanted to. And like this time when it, when it happened and I couldn't do it, I was like, ah. Oh. I said, please tell him that I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not mean. I'm not saying, always saying no to him. I really want to. And so what happened was then, then they, they, they couldn't make it work. But then he offered me another part in the same film. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play a gangster. You could be a gangster. You do good evil. So I do. Love, I love evil. You are good at evil. Yeah, I, I, I love, and also they get the best lines. And yeah. always evil people in films always are very elegantly dressed as well, mostly. And, and, and you have a great, a great face that lends itself to evil. Yes, and, and I think you, you know, evil with a twinkle is a really great thing Absolutely. to play. Now you're in proper psychopath mm -hmm. territory. Mm -hmm. um, I have to let you go, it, but it's with great reluctance. <laughs> um, I've loved talking to you. I've loved reading you. I love the podcast. Um, I hope it's going to be more shelves. Yes, there are. They're good. Yes, there's, there's a, till 35. We've got 35 episodes coming out. Coming what? out. You've done 35 more. Done 30, and I've done like however many there's out now. It goes to 35 this great. season. 
So, um, yeah. Well, there's some absolute crackers in there. Populating all of the different productions and people that you've met along the way, everyone from Monica Lewinsky to Jane Horrocks. Mm. Um, it's really fascinating stuff. And Homo Sapiens. Oh, and Brooks was in it too. My, my friend I talked about, she did one. Did she? Yeah, I'm going to go and have a listen now. I do my real friends too, not just all famous people. Yeah. Homo Sapiens I don't do anymore. I stopped doing that because it was too many, too many things. Too many things. It was a really done. great thing to do. I loved that. That's a really great podcast. Yeah, really good. So, um, Next year we can come and see you dance, we can come and see you be an evil gangster, um, or we can just enjoy you in our ears or in the comfort of our own home in book form. Um, please just keep being completely impossible to predict. <laughs> the algorithm no one can hack. I love um, being an algorithm. Yeah, you are though. I mean, like, seriously, nobody leaving drama school with that wish list would ever think it was achievable. No, no that, yeah, that would be crazy. And for that, you you know, that, that that's probably your gift to the young guns is like, don't don't worry. Just yeah, make your I own say that. Part. Don't don't try not to be pigeonholed. Right, the people yeah. will ask you to be and try to make you be yeah. resist. Alan, coming. Thank you. Thank please. you so much. Please, it's been please, lovely. please, please, um, come back again because we've only just we've only just begun. Scrape the scab. <laughs> thanks, Kate. My huge thanks to Alan Cumming. Do not forget that his book Baggage is out now, as are its predecessors, wherever you buy your books. This episode has been produced by the studio teams at Yahoo, headed up by Gabriella Colasurdo, executive produced by Richard Hatherell, and produced by me, Kate Thornton. Our editing comes courtesy of Libby Knowles. Please, before you sign off, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, do give us a rate or a review love you for it and if you can't be bothered totally understand life's busy i get it take care out there i'll see you next friday mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.